1: Stuff podcast network for Fado, Fado and Aaron. Welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I am Dark O'Shea.
2: I'm Geraldine McAvoy.
3: and I'm Patracaivonic. How are you getting on?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Still, still living, you know. Yeah,
3: we're still here. I mean, uh, I, I'm an old man now with one foot in the grave and one on, one foot <laughs> on the edge of it oh yeah sure look we're still upright it's no point complaining we are
1: indeed <laughs> no point complaining <laughs> it's it's been an interesting week in some ways it's something has happened that it happens every now and then in that a, a certain irish writer went viral for two days Went it was trending in ireland for a couple of days in a row and people said well she doesn't have any new books out <laughs> or maybe, actually maybe she does she's the sequel
3: <laughs> To I'd be I'd be fucking shocked if she had a new book out. <laughs> because she did a she's been dead Lee since to released
2: sequel just before she died. <laughs> <laughs> because
1: she's been dead since 1958. Since since <laughs> before before the V came into the fuck lore. She was like, I'm getting out of here. This place is fucked.
3: this, this would be even worse than Harper Lee, because like, I mean with Harper <laughs> Lee Harper Lee they just like broke into her nursing home and found a manuscript and was like, Can we take this? Yeah, it was like cartoon and,
2: and dollar dollar signs in the eyes. Like when they saw it, they were like, mm-hmm, "Let's exploit an old woman, <laughs> make her famous." Character racist, <laughs> like
1: <laughs> every single writer has a manuscript that they just don't want to ever see again. They say, like, "Oh, I'm glad I made all my mistakes." And the manuscripts are not going to publish because that's dirt. And you know, it's it's it, it's such a shocking betrayal. It's like when they released yeah. all those um, Jeff Buckley kind of live demos and, and extras. But we're not talking about them necessarily. We are talking about. Amazingly, yet again, Peg has gone viral in Ireland.
3: Yeah, of course she has. And you know why she's gone viral in Ireland? She's gone viral in Ireland because, yet again... Somebody was talking about the Irish language, nothing to do with the education system, nothing to do with how the language is taught, absolutely nothing to do with the curriculum from 30 fucking years ago. And yet the radio broadcaster who was hosting the programme, her first reaction to any story about the Irish language was, well, I hated pagan school.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. So insightful. I have the, the, the Grand Zero tweet here from mean uh, he, which He tweets, oh, great. A new presenter on this particular show. Here's how we get a modern debate on our language and what resources are needed to cur- to strengthen the Language Act currently in the Doll. But for a sentence, I hated Peg in school. <laughs> face palm emoji.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Really, face palm emoji. That's just every fucking Gael's reaction when this happens yet again. You you mention in conversation, or you walk around with your phone, yeah, or you're minding your business speaking Irish wherever you are, and then somebody comes in and says. Do you know I hated Peg? Like <laughs> get over it, you weirdo. That's yeah, just <laughs> what like... is wrong with you?
3: Oh, so Peg it's... Sayers, is it? Is I I'm planning on doing that anytime, anytime I hear anyone speak English around me, I'm just gonna start naming authors. English, is it? Wasn't a big fan of that Robert Ludlum. <laughs> I felt the born ultimatum didn't tie up enough loose ends.
1: <laughs> so in Back
3: and <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry yes, so English That's yeah. what
2: they deserve They don't uh, deserve Shakespeare <laughs> I, <laughs> deserve
3: I struggled to think of an English author <laughs> <laughs> So
2: there's only a few, God love them Yeah I
3: know <laughs> sure, Look it's a weird language, why would you be writing that? I know.
2: They don't have a word for Latin, did you know that? Oh.
1: <laughs> and they beat it into in school
3: Oh, Jesus.
2: Forced on us. Forced on us, Derek.
3: Forced forced on our throats, English was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is...
1: The phenomenon, uh, back in December, I, when I was writing my review of the decade, I mentioned that um, it, we, we found that, that when Leo Fradkar was made Taoiseach, it, it was groundbreaking for a number of reasons. One of, and it represented a change in modern Ireland, one of which was he was the first Taoiseach born in the post-Peg era. He did his leaving search in 1997, I believe, um, three years after Peg came what was no longer a compulsory Mm. part of the Irish curriculum, some schools, some uh, some teachers who love to continue to teach it, but there are other texts available at that point.
3: Yeah, there, there's an optional element uh, to the literature part of the Irish Language Leaving Cert course since the mid-90s. And of course, like some some teachers realised the value of, of PEG as a book and you know what it teaches, uh, in particular from a linguistic point of view. So they, they kept teaching it. Uh, and of course, some students um, at an honours level or at a higher level who had the option of studying uh, a text of their own choosing decided to do PEG as well. And you know that's that's grand because it's actually it's not that bad. But just this idea that Peg Sayers or her book Peg is representative of literally everything to do with the Irish language. It it just it rings one alarm bell for me. And like you know, I, I, I my day job is working with older people. I I'm not ageist, but as soon as somebody rings mm. up Peg, my first thing is, are oh, you old? You old. <laughs>
1: It's like it's like when someone says that I you know I, you know, I remember the, the, the first time. I think if someone says it's a Tyler Perry movie, and I thought, oh, my God, Aerosmith made a movie. <laughs> uh, no, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. But I the- think
2: actually, sorry, I just want to say that, like, I don't actually necessarily think it's older people because I d- I'm born in the post-Peg era. Right. I was born in 1992. She came off the syllabus like quite soon after I was born. Um, and thank- so thank you for that. Yeah, (laughs) guys, I'm so young. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like, you know, she she's gone so long, but I think it's still it's a trendy thing to say, like. Do you know the way the young kids now, they are like, oh, why do you say hang up the phone? But they still say hang up the phone, even though they have no concept for hanging up the phone. It's kind yeah. of the same thing. The youths of today are like, oh, oh Peg. You've no idea what Peg is because you never read it. Well, neither do the people who were complaining about it. But you know, <laughs> let that be said. But I think it's just sort of the trendy thing to say about Irish or like the ha ha, everyone like Josh's and has a good time. Ha, isn't Irish great? No, it's not, Peg lol. And like that's
1: like That's and yeah, and there's there's definitely a bit of that. And when when Peg actually did come off the curriculum, I we we did a bit of research how Peg is a trope, and we've talked before about how on our hot gale summer episodes how photographs of Peg often accompany articles about modern uh, about modern Irish policy or current the current curriculum mm-hmm. and or or, or,
3: or the Gaeltacht or anything at all to yeah. do with the Irish language. It's like it's like the national newspaper's picture desk really only has one go to, and it's the and I, the worst thing is it's always the same image of Peg. Like yeah, there,
2: every everyone knows it. She's in the the shawl in the house. Yeah, and it's bleak and
3: sad. Like there, there are pictures of Peg Sarah smiling. They do exist, <laughs> yeah. plenty of them.
1: Um, Ah, uh, but they don't feed the narrative, you know. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so I, I decided to go back to an, an early source to find someone who who represents. I guess I had to find representative samples of people explaining why they dislike Peg. And what I did find was in the mid nineties, or when when the news was announced that Peg was coming off the curriculum, Joseph O'Connor, uh, one of our one of our greatest writers in fairness uh, at the moment, and came up wrote a a screed of sorts or a, a, a position on why he didn't like pagan school and we're just gonna have that read out now so you can because i think he gets the police points across
4: shay i thought to myself since the happy day i finished my leaving cert a dozen long years ago i've been waiting to hear this news i am as regular readers may recall a bit of a lapsed catholic i am not ashamed to say that on morning last week when i heard peg's demise i got out of the lava and went down on my knees and thanked the lord above for his mercies peg Says in the dustbin of history Bliss it was to be alive at this dawn. Peg bloody sayers, the pox be upon her. May she be broiled over the hobs of Hades and then made to listen to the Kilfenora Kelly band for all eternity. You remember what it was like? don't you readers? You'd go into your Irish class feeling relatively content with your little self. Then the moon tour would open the book and begin to read aloud, and next thing you know, down would come the misery. Hit on log earn log art, oh alas, an ochon, affliction, agony, distress, pain, sorrow, and woe, peppered with a light smattering of depression, despondency, and heartache. Peg Sayers, the woman who lived to be 807 without ever being happy once. If there is one person at whose feet we might lay the near death of modern Irish, surely it is Peg. Mawkish, cringing, miserable, forelock tugging, acquiescent, superstitious, old baggage that she was. What a great idea it was to make us all read her. How relevant she was to our lives. What a great way to murder language. Peg Sayers was the droning voice of Irish failure, the kind of literary character that only a truly colonized society could produce. Her long overdue demise is cause for celebration. Nabea Lehidia Rishan, well boo hoo Idershin, Agasantuk
1: and that's what joe joe connor thinks
3: that wasn't i mean that's not that bad you know what i mean it's that's kind of that's at least coming from the point of view of someone who clearly knows what's in the book and just didn't enjoy it that's fine i would do the same for wuthering heights what a, how is that even a, a classic of english literature what a terribly written fucking book like, who's even supposed to be the narrator in that? Is it, is it the, the person who bought Wuthering Heights, or the new housekeeper, or who's also the old housekeeper, or is it Catherine, or is Heathcliff talking? And hang on a second, isn't Heathcliff supposed to be black? What a fucking, what a clusterfuck of a book. It's terrible.
1: One thing was, there's some, people, there's some theories that Heathcliff is actually a scouser. Or Irish. Oh, I don't never, know, man. Is, I haven't this, read it. This, this. Is never represented in the book. But anyway, these are. It's as you as you point out, not everybody
3: likes the books they read in school. Yeah. But but critically, just just critically on this one, Joseph yeah. O'Connor is talking about the book in school, and you know what? Actually, that's fine because if you studied the book in school, and the topic of your discussion is that book in school that's grand. Tell us you hate it. Tell us it was boring. Whatever you want, that's no problem. The key fundamental issue at stake here is, if the topic is, oh, we need a senior minister for the Gaeldacht, the answer isn't peg. If the topic is, there's <laughs> no there's no broadband in Connemara, the answer isn't peg. And if the topic is anything, summer colleges, if the topic is how Irish is currently taught in modern schools, the fucking answer isn't peg.
1: What about fathers and in, in, in software?
3: Uh, well, checking, I mean obviously I that's, 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 Peg, Peg's, that's Peg's fault. That's, yeah, Peg. that's Peg. Yeah, she, she
2: did yeah. that. She did. There, there's a notorious chapter in the book where she talks about software and and fathers and the HSE and so yeah. on.
3: Yeah, when know? she when she booked a seat on the train from the Blaskets yeah. to <laughs> to Dublin, Sligo, Sligo, <laughs> Sligo. <laughs> to Donegal so, and, as there was at the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and if you'd have read the book, you'd have known.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> so who was Peg? Peg, Peg Carrageen.
2: Well, Peg was was a woman who lived in Kerry and then moved to the Blasket Islands. And she was a woman. I think what what we need to consider when we're talking about Peg is the fact that it's a person who was on yeah on the syllabus, but like a well known book in Ireland from the perspective of a woman, as told by a woman, and not like like a normal woman of that particular generation and era and location. So this is a woman. Peg Sayers, who was born in Dunquin in uh, West Kerry and then moved to the Blasket Islands um, when she got married. Uh, she led, you know, a relatively difficult life, as one did in that time, in that place, uh, with, with harsh conditions. Uh, I think she lost, was it five or six children? Do you know she was supposed to go to America to, to emigrate with her friend? Was it Cot who went off to America? Yeah, mm-hmm. Cot, yeah. caught, um,
3: caught, yeah. Yeah. caught, caught Boland.
2: And then poor got got injured and couldn't couldn't uh, f- fund Peg's journey, so she was kind of left left back home. But you know she she led she led a life and and she was a, a shanachie, which is like a an, an oral tradition storyteller. And word kind of got around that this was there was this woman who was very good at telling stories, and her son eventually asked her to you know, dictate her stories. She was illiterate in Irish because the education system at the time didn't teach you to to write in Irish. So she couldn't write in Irish. So she dictated her stories and that became the the basis for the book Peg. And yeah, it starts with, you know, she's an old woman now and she has one foot on the grave and one on the edge and then goes on to tell, you know, folk tales of of the islands and around Kerry and stories of her life. And From that particular perspective, I don't know why she's not considered... If we're going to give Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice and Wuthering Heights feminist icon status, why don't we give it to Peg? This is a woman who gave her story and told her story literally in her own words because there's recordings of it. And we gave... She gave that and it's one of the very few women who has told their stories, when you think about Irish literature that is well known and people know who she is and it's in a minority language. Like that's rare. And I think we should celebrate that more rather than focusing on all of the negative nonsense. And we'll get to the fact why it's nonsense later, but like she, she was this, you know, in a sense, a revolutionary.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was one of many like, and, and, you know, there was, you have to think of the context of the time. Like there was, this was, uh, the land war she was born in uh, 18 the 1870s 1873 and as she was young The the land war in Ireland and the sort of the second generation, third generation of Catholic emancipation started to create a growing middle class that Peg was squarely not in. So all of a sudden, instead of being surrounded by people who were peers, she was being surrounded by people who thought that that they were her betters. She was witness to a changing Ireland. She was witness to uh, a a nascent industrial Ireland. She was witness to an Ireland that was sort of seeing the end of pure Brutal bayonet colonialism and the start of a new kind of uh, consciousness of Irishness, and she saw all of that and she knew what was happening. So they come through in her stories, and you know she she was one of many people on the Great Blasket Island that were visited by scholars uh, as part of the you know and the Gael the Gaelic revival. So uh, Robin Flower, who famously took down Tommaso Griffin's stories and helped put together on Tillanoch uh, his. His seminal masterpiece uh, of life on the Great Blasket Island. Um she she was out there she as 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 Gardy mentioned she thought she was gonna get to emigrate to America uh, but caught Niviola and caught Boland. She had an accident and couldn't send her the money. So Peg married Podrigo Guihin from on Blasgate War, and moved out to the island in 1892. Um, She had 11 children, only six survived. It was a hard life. It was tough. But people started to visit the island in the early 20th century. Uh, Robin Flower, Carl Marstrander, um, lots of these these Gaelic scholars, Kuno Meyer, even uh, Lady Gregory was involved in the same movement. I'm not sure she made it to the Great Blasket Island herself. But they started interviewing people like Tommaso Griffin and Peg Sayers. And they said, you know, they went into each community Community And they were like, tell us, the, who are the storytellers? And um, these were the the last keepers of the oral Irish history tradition. Um, because as Garadine said, these people were functionally illiterate in Irish, could read and write in English, but had never been taught to read or write in Irish. So this was a totally oral language and a totally oral history. And if it was not for the likes of Tommaso and Peg Sayers, and other people around them in thousands of little villages around the country, the Irish Folklore Commission wouldn't have gathered stories. Uh, they got about 432 separate items of storytelling from Peg Sayers um, from 1938 until 1953, I think, when she died, or 1958 when she died, sorry. Um mm-hmm. The Irish Folklore Commission got, uh, I think, in total about 350 legends, ghost stories, folk stories, stories about religious practices and traditions. Um, Joseph O'Dalig of the Irish Folklore Commission and I think Sean O'Sullivan um, as well, they went out to her. She wasn't too comfortable being recorded, so there's not many recordings of her voice, so they wrote it down, most of it down on pen and paper. And it, like people like her saved not just the language, but an entire tradition, an entire history. And without them, we really, really wouldn't have as much knowledge or as much consciousness of where we come from as a culture. And to have it reduced down to this lazy trope that the national broadsheets can yeah. throw out there as a picture on any article about the Irish language, it does her a massive disservice. It does Tommaso Criffin a massive disservice. It does the whole uh, of Avioch and the Gaelge and Conor and the Gaelge and the Irish Folklore Commission. It, it does them a disservice. It's, it's, it wouldn't be tolerated in any other, you know, sphere of, of our society or our culture. And yet, for some reason, it's just handy to throw it down as a trope because Jesus wasn't the book fucking miserable.
2: Yeah, and I think, uh, like, she would a right to be miserable. Jesus, <laughs> like, you live in that society being gentrified around you. You're, you know, people leaving around you, people you love dying, living in harsh conditions. Yeah, it's beautiful. But Jesus, it's it's harsh out there. Like, you have a right to be miserable. Oh, my God. And listen.
1: But she's, she's being told to smile.
2: Yes! She's being told to smile. Peg, would you ever cheer up, up? Get, get... Fucked like he one ever got told to cheer up Shakespeare and all of his all of his his stupid plays are tragic. Everyone ends up dead in the end. That's how all of his plays end. Even the comedies are tragic. Merchant of Venice, like an anti-Semitic, misogynistic tripe. That's what it is. It's like, ha ha, isn't it gas? Because we got one over and the Jewish guy and the women had to dress up as men to be taken seriously. Ha ha, what a
5: hilarious story. <laughs> like,
2: what? Peg has a right to be miserable. And she's not that miserable. As you said, there's plenty pictures of her smiling. She did smile you lads. You just need to find the right photo. God damn it. I said I wouldn't rant. And then,
0: so here we are.
1: In some ways, there, this is something that else come up that as like, there's, there is this kind of undercurrent in a lot of the peg bashing um, that a lot of women can really relate to that. I mean, there's this misogynistic undercurrent to a lot of the comments with peg about her appearance, about her demeanor and the, the fact that she's talking.
2: Absolutely. I think it's so like it's there's an undercurrent of misogyny that you're not, like you said, you're not recognizing the fact that this is a woman telling her story in her words. And you're like, oh, my God, she's so annoying and miserable. Like sometimes women have miserable lives, like shock her. Women living in Ireland have had a miserable time of it. Like, I'm sorry, is that something that's news to you? Have you been living under a rock? And then I think there's also an element of ageism as well, because she's not a young, vibrant person. She's a woman who's lived her life and is at the, you know, the closing stages of it like she's ready for the grave that's how it starts and she's telling back her life and I think that's you know not the traditional woman you would have seen the comely maiden who's ready to get married or whatever yeah she's this older woman who's lived her life and it's been sad for some parts of it because that's but how life is
3: there's the other the other thing that like we really really need to address the elephant in the room we fucking love the misery like <laughs> why is why is this the exception to the rule? We yes. love misery. Like oh Peg yes. is miserable. It's not vibrant and exciting like King Lear or Macbeth. <laughs> like
2: what do you Or the feels? The fucking yeah. feels like <laughs> <laughs> that's literally a stone's throw away from it set isn't it set in Carrie it is yeah and you know miserable the poor old Bull McCabe is a terrible time of it like Ty is a terrible time of it like everyone's got no crack you know but we all love that story everyone loves that film
3: yeah and like (laughs) even the stuff we watch nowadays even the stuff we watch now like we love we love the misery Game of Thrones wasn't a lark like you know what I mean and billions of people watched it it's like I, I just and this idea that like it's on the curriculum it shouldn't be boring what are you, what are you on about everything on the school curriculum is boring everything
1: yeah yeah I think the context of studying it and this is this I know Pat Inglesby was famous he wouldn't let his his poems uh, be on this curriculum I'm not sure if anyone ever asked but uh, he said he, he pre them by saying he didn't want it because the act of studying them takes away some of the fun but I suppose like for a lot of observers of the way like Ireland maybe is unusually obsessed with the education system in a way that I don't think that kind of um that A-level results and A-level curriculums and issues like that get the same discussion in in England or yeah it's not in, the same the,
2: here either like this is the state of affairs my boyfriend a Finnish man knows who Peg is and knows he will laugh at Peg jokes like, that's the <laughs> state we're in like, hmm. doesn't speak he's like Duolingo level one of Irish that's the extent that he has like and he's like ha ha, Peg jokes
3: but the, mm-hmm. the first thing the owl says to you on Duolingo is wasn't Peg shite go on ha <laughs> <laughs> ha banter
2: and you have to answer yes so that you can get to the lessons
3: yeah it's a but like yeah culturally culturally we 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 have a a very weird so ever since free secondary education which probably coincides around about the time of peg's book being either um published or put on the curriculum uh Ever since then, we have had this single model of secondary education where we funnel everybody into the Leaving Cert. Like, it really is, it's Pierce's murder machine times a thousand. Uh, So it's one size fits all. It's not like in Germany where you choose, do you want to go to the Realschule or the Hochschule or the Mm. Gymnasium? Depending on what career you want to do, everybody does the fucking Leaving. So for a significant period of time, everybody does PEG. So it was a cultural touchstone. But it was a cultural Mm -hmm. touchstone in a way that Macbeth or King Lear or Hamlet wouldn't have been, because it was our cultural touchstone and our culture. And one of the worst things we do on this island is ridicule and belittle our own culture. It's forelock tugging, calf dopping nonsense. And we do it all the time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think it's it's so frustrating when I was when we were like prepping for this episode, I was thinking I was like, we really need to interrogate why we find it so okay to ridicule who we are and part of of what it means to be Irish or part of our culture, a very visible part of our culture, be that literature, be that the language. And I think Peg, as we've said, is inherently connected to the language. I mean, she is for a lot of people. Like a mascot and a negative mascot for the language, and I think we really need to interrogate that and it's it's look, it's a common feature of a post colonial society because what colonialism does to a society is colonize minds. So when you colonise the way people think, you don't need to make a prohibition to say you can't have your culture or you can't have your language because they already think their culture and their language is uneducated or, you know, backward or belongs on an island or that belongs to the, you know, the tribal people or whatever it is. You see it in other societies as well where, you know, maybe if you're talking about African colonised nations that have English as an official language, But nobody speaks English officially. You know, the the language of the people is not English, but it's seen as like a, a more prestigious language. And I think that's evident in the way we talk about Peg because it's a laughable, jokeable thing because Irish is this twee, silly language that belongs on the islands and people complain and moan in that language. And we're not recognising that that's a leftover of colonialism, that's taught behaviour that we have internalised and continue to internalise because we refuse to make peace with it. And I I include in that, like, you know, I'm not saying it's the Brits at it again. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, Pather, you said it, that like, you know, people need to take ownership over their... Lack of ability. You can't just say the language was taken from me, the Brits took it, and leave it at that. There comes a point where it's been how many years since in the at least the 26 counties, where we've had control over our own affairs. What's stopping you from interrogating the question of why do I think PEG is so backwards? Why do I think the language as a proxy or Peg being a proxy for the language is so backward? And why is, how do I not see that as a strange thing? I think Irish is a dead language and the speakers who speak it are strange. You know, ask yourself why.
3: Yeah, and the other thing is like that. that's absolutely it. Like it is about this ownership be, be, because for so many people, the only interaction they have with the language, the language that, you know, that we speak We speak to each other. I know we use English on this podcast, but we speak Irish. I speak Irish every day. I speak to my son in Irish. I speak to my friends in Irish. Their only interaction with that language is school. And it is too much of a a cultural leap for them to say, you know, I wish I had more engagement with the language and I am not a qualified authority to speak about this. Instead, because it's our culture, because I should know about the language, I need to tie it back to my only experience of the language, which is the school system. So therefore, no yes. matter what the fuck you say about Irish, my reaction is going to be either, it's the way it's taught or peg airs, because those yeah. are my, that's my narrow understanding of this entire culture, um, way of living, way of being, way of thinking, way of feeling, it all boils down to my own interaction with it, which is a pretty fucking limited interaction, but I can't bring myself to admit that. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it's an oversimplification. It's a lot easier to say, do you know, it was Mrs. Murphy's fault that I don't speak Irish. She was a really bad teacher. It was Peg's fault that I don't speak Irish. And yeah, there's problems with those things. But it's a lot easier to say that and point to it and then be done with it and to, to actually interrogate the internal problem that we as a nation have and that he as a person have in, in a sense, hating. Like, and I, I say that like kind of like subconsciously hating the self and it's you know like you talk about it in 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 say feminist literature you talk about internalized misogyny or in in race literature you talk about internalized racism or with deaf people die conscious autism and how you have this internalized hatred of who you are because that's the way it's the way it's taught we were taught to be that way you know that the we were as a society internalized that and stuck with that and then the attempts to to roll back from that at the foundation of the state. So the attempts to sort of push Irish on people, it just didn't work because they weren't thinking deeply enough about why, what people, they were thinking, Okay, Irish was, we'll say, illegal or or discouraged now we're just going to encourage it when actually you needed to decolonize minds first there's no way you can encourage it by just saying we'll provide all the jobs they're available to a limited few people i mean providing all the jobs is a nonsense anyway but you know you just you just look at it on a surface level you don't
6: actually tackle the problem what is dubland we have to explain what
7: dubland is the dubland podcast is an eternally pregnant woman um, I mean, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right. Okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler, mm-hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the um, world see the see the world around them is that it. I is think that that's a good it. explanation
8: well, of that's
9: it? That's a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network.
7: Dubyard Dublin podcast. Dubyard Your Dubyard
1: Something that i was i've been thinking about and i've I've, it's come up a couple of times with my discussions with other uh, with other book people is you know we've ireland has had a a pretty strong decade of of book publishing uh in 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 2010s and one of the recurring trends is uh rural female voices very honest heart-wrenching memoir elegant elegant tragic memoir from regional voices from female voices from from those outsider perspectives i mean peg is much closer to the actual modern literary tradition in ireland and i'm thinking of books like notes to self uh, by emily Pine and yeah. Gleason's constellations um, i found my tribe i can't remember the the, the, woman, the the name of the author of that one straight away but like um a lot of the big the, the top prize winners at the irish book awards and others have been part of this are are closer to peg than they are to um, uh, I guess some of the um, the reactions against Irish traditionalism in the eighteen nineties.
3: Yeah, it's practically it's normal people, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only written <laughs> yeah. way back when.
2: Unless BDSM, I think.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is there that is there BDSM, BDSM in, in normal people? Yeah,
2: there's a little bit of it. When oh. she goes away to Sweden,
3: I've, I've I've neither read the book nor seen the... I've only taken part in the associated podcasts.
2: Oh, you haven't seen damn then. <laughs>
3: No, no, I have, have not. There's a little bit
2: of it, yeah, it's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's quite the adjustment if you grew up sexually repressed.
3: <laughs> I didn't grow up in Sligo, I grew up in the sexual wonderland that is uh, <laughs> southwest Dublin. <laughs> really. We were all here riding to bait the band so it's uh, it's not well yeah That's
2: what my mother told you me you were all up (laughs) there Yeah yeah
3: That's that's, we had to we had to to keep the coaches down (laughs) Uh, But that takes us back to Peg Yeah it does (laughs) It (laughs) does Because
1: so there's sometimes people are defending Peg what they do is they can't bring themselves to actually defend the book and what they say is they talk about this kind of Holy Grail. What, what Peg should have been like if it wasn't butchered by the censors, by the Department of Education, and by her own son. And this is this is theory that there's that there's a like a pure filth version there because Peg was living on an island where everyone was kind of very cognizant of each other's business. People were close together. Everything everything happened in in, in a room. Um, uh, people had to deal with uh, I guess themselves in a community. Where, when people knew each a lot about each other, and at that. that there was maybe you know Garsjulacht,
3: Garsjulacht, yeah, yeah. There's a bit yeah, of Garschulucht.
2: That's some Jackine nonsense. Like, sorry, there's no way a culty person came up with that theory because let me fucking tell you, I might know your business, but I'm not going to talk about it. But I will in whispered terms. But, not, you know, I'm not going to do it when anyone's taking notes. You know, I'm going to wink and nudge. That's all I'm going to do. The, the,
3: the, one thing, the one thing that is true, though, is that, like, as, as we've mentioned several times, um, because Peg was functionally illiterate in Irish, the book had to be dictated. And it was dictated mm. to her son, uh, Michal, Mike, uh, Michael Cahin. And it is theorized widely that that mike uh, suffered from undiagnosed bipolar disorder that he was he was uh, what would have been known at the time as a manic depressive um, now we've we've better terms to deal with mental illness but that's what it would have been termed as at the time um, and that that has an effect on how the book actually made it to paper and of course it had to be edited as well so there's there's more than just peg at stake here and she actually i mean i've read the her other book um, Machniv Shneivenar is that is it what it's called? Um, yeah, Machniv Shneivenar, or in English, an, an old woman's reflections. And okay, there's no there's no writing in it. Like you know what I mean? It's not. But but there is a bit of garshelekh, and there is a bit of fun, and there's a bit of wit and wisdom. And there's a bit of there's a sort of a glint in the eye of of the author in it that's absent from Peg. Peg is is it's gloomy, it's miserable, it's it's a, it's a reflection on a very, very difficult life that was told to someone who had a very, very difficult life. And that sort of exacerbates the problem when you put pen to paper. Mm. And, And that does come true, but there's no, unfortunately... That is the base copy. That's the original. There's no holy grail out there. There's no hidden dirty peg. Like, there's no peg with with, yeah. with, with, with willies and bums <laughs> in it. Like, that's not out there. <laughs> a director's cut. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that's some weird Reddit post. Like, dark corner of the internet carry on. Is that where's the dirty version? Like, like there isn't one, man. There's not a dirty, there's not a porn of everything, okay? Before the internet, there wasn't a porn of everything, Okay
1: i think you'll find there's gonna there's gonna be some peg fan fiction now i swear to god do not tag <laughs> me in it i don't
2: want to know please god
1: Blasket threesome oh, <gasps> oh no.
3: this is anyway. a disservice to everyone who has died for ireland <laughs> well, <laughs> so
1: no. the, the, the the blaskets have, have suppose, a was a a kind of place in well maybe the Aran islands probably maybe get, get more tourism then the baskets that seems fair enough to say.
3: Oh, yeah, um, obviously. Was, There's no one on the Blaskets. Yeah. <laughs> it's only yeah. recently been redeveloped as a tourist destination with an overnight accommodation option. You can stay in Peg Sayre's house and there are full-time caretakers there to look after the place and look after your knees when you get on. But prior to that, the island was really only available for day trips or for the more mm-hmm. intrepid tourist, you could camp on it. You could sleep out under the stars. Um, and look, that, that's great. Like you don't want to see the Blaskets, you know, you don't want to see it, I don't want to see an apart hotel opening on the Blaskets, if you know what I mean. They form an important part of our culture. Um, linguistically speaking, it was one of the last isolated language communities in the country. Yeah. Um, peg left in 1942 things started to get a little bit too difficult for her being on the island and there was a sort of a tapering off of people living on the island until the 50s when there was a tragic incident that uh, a young a young resident on the island got sick and they couldn't get because of stormy weather they couldn't get medicine out and uh, the young man passed away and at that stage they kind of realized the writing was on the wall and in yeah the early 50s. They were all given houses in Dunquin and the surrounding parishes, and they were brought off the island. Um, so it was the end of a way of life in a big way, because all of the other islands that remain inhabited are either incredibly close to land or have a significant enough population to, you know, survive these sorts of things. The Blaskets, it was a very small predominantly fishing community with a little bit of farming it was a way of life that just doesn't exist anymore subsistence farming subsistence fishing not very little interaction with on on mean tier the mainland um mm. but there are little bits of it that thanks to peg thanks to Tommaso griffin and thanks to carl marstrander and robin flower and um in the, all the other scholars who actually went out to the island we know an awful lot about the Blasket way of life yeah and that is invaluable that's priceless like we know that they for example used to say going uh out to the mainland and into the island like er yeah. and that's still what they say in Dún if you get into your Naive and you're heading for the Blasket you're going uh, which is just a fantastic world view. That's
2: beautiful.
3: Like a friend of mine is from is from Ackle and um would often say that like Ireland is an island off the coast of Ackle. And I, lo- <laughs> I love that That's I, lo- so lovely. I love that centralism. But but that shines through in the likes of uh Tommaso Griffin has this amazing book called Dinchanicus and Ilan. Um yeah. Dinchanicus being a, a, an Irish folklore term for like the place names of things and where they come from like the island is not big. You can easily, easily walk it, uh, the whole lot of it, the whole area of the island, you could cover it in a couple of hours. It's very small. It's rocky cliff faces and difficult walks and all that. But every rock above a certain size, every field, every patch of grass, every beach, every portion of the beach, every headland, every promontory, everything had a name and had a reason for having that name. And it was documented. Mm-hmm. To have that connection, because that is that used to be the same all around the country, everywhere. My father-in-law often asks me, he'll turn around and he'll say something that sounds a little bit like an anglicised version of an Irish name and he'll ask me, what does that mean? And I'll have to go, I don't know, can you spell it? He goes, "No, nobody's ever written it down. It's the name of a field up above on the side of that mountain. Mm. And And when his generation goes... That name will be gone because it'll be gone from the folk memory and no one will ever remember what that little field was called. But thanks to interventions by others, we know what they were called on the Blasket Island. So we get an insight into how life was. And like that's amazing. And it deserves far more fucking respect than people saying yeah. it's a miserable. Of course it was a miserable book. It was not an easy fucking life. Living on yeah. an island where you can't get any food into the island. If If um, if if it's stormy, where people are going to die because you can't get medicine over because where you have to take care of all your healthcare needs yourself without a fucking doctor on the island, half your kids are going to fucking die because we don't have modern medicine. Like, it's Ireland at the time was a shithole, and living (laughs) on an island made that shithole multiply your difficulties exponentially. So to look back at that, we've
1: we've found somewhere even wetter and with less services.
3: (laughs) Yes, let's go.
2: <laughs> but I think it's 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 indicative of this rejection of Peg that oh it's so boring and oh I think that's again maybe that's the culture in me that just like has an inherent hate of Jackine's. But like it feels like bourgeois Dublin leafy suburb. Oh, that's not what the Irish speaking community is about. We're so cosmopolitan. We have coffees, you know, like <laughs> like that's how culty I am. That I'm like coffee. That's so cosmopolitan. Um, you know, I remember my teachers drinking Nescafe, the, the 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 instant coffee, and I used to think they were so cool. When I was a child because no one I knew drank coffee except teachers who'd been to college in Dublin. But um, you know, it's this idea that that oh we're going to reclaim the language in this bourgeois um sort of like sophisticated elitist and we've talked before about elitism in Ireland but like there is an element of that i do think that the rejection of this like this this existence of a very small elite that we're saying irish isn't like that and then the recognition the sort of conflict between those two communities that oh of course Peg doesn't represent she re- represents a different thing when in actual fact she still fucking represents what it's like being in the Gaeltacht, not having roads not having Wi-Fi, not having access like if you're pregnant and you live on the Aran Islands you have to come over and knock around in a hotel before you give birth because it's not you know it's not safe because there's no facilities there and I don't know am I saying build a hospital on Inishmore I don't know I'm not a city planner but what I am saying is these communities are still underserviced and pretending that she doesn't represent and her story doesn't represent life as he said life back then and a beautiful cultural rich heritage of what life was like but also is still very relevant to societies that exist today and to this day and are still gasping for resources and recognition and this idea we were saying it earlier that there's this idea father you were saying it that like a Peg is, is sort of seen as this like naggy complainer. And then so is people who live in the Gaeltacht who are like, hey, could we get a bit of Wi-Fi? And everyone's like, well, you get all the jobs and all the grants. So you're just compli- like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> These people are looking for roads and internet access. So they don't have to leave and move to Dublin or to Galway City or to Cork City in order to live rich and full lives. They want to live where they live in their communities, but they can't because they're not serviced. Hmm, Sounds a little bit like
5: Peg.
3: which is a a reality that we don't want to face. Like There was a lovely story during the week um, on Indigenous Peoples Day about um, our good friend Naomi O'Leary and how she retweeted um, a Diné or Navajo uh, NASA engineer uh, and it all of a sudden raised nearly a million euro from Ireland for the Navajo and Hopi nations in a sort of a repayment of, of what the Choctaw Nation did for Ireland during the famine. And there were a load of people who replied to this lovely, lovely touching story about how Native Americans, uh, you know, helped the Irish people during the famine, and now Irish people are helping the Native Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's a load of people really eager to reply to that and say, actually, the famine was caused by bureaucratic failings. We exported more food and resources than we needed. Uh, The Irish people were deliberately starved. They didn't have to die. It's a galaxy brain take to realise or to not realise rather that that's what's fucking happening to the Navajo now today. I mean for God's sake just think outside yeah. yourself and the failure to do that, the failure to realise that there are still people fuicos, there are still people oppressed in loads of different parts of the world that you might be surprised about. Is it's it? I think it can be directly related back to not wanting to face up to the idea that Peg represents a reality and not a fucking fantasy.
2: I think that's a good place to leave off there, lads. I
1: think so. And <laughs> what do you think the future holds for Peg?
2: Oh, more of the same shite. Like, sorry, I, I don't for one second think we're going to revolutionise the way people think about Peg, because the people who think what they think about Peg don't fucking listen to our podcast, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> and the next time I tweet about teachers, I'm going to get some person in my replies being like, well, did you ever hear a Peg? Blocked, immediately blocked. That's how I deal with that now. I'm not engaging with that anymore. I'm not going to send them a link to this podcast, sorry. That person is beyond reprieve. I can't. I'm just... We're not going to change the way people view Peg. Next year, in the next two months, we're going to see some article about Irish and they're going to use that same fucking photograph. I'd imagine most people who are aware, most of our listeners know what we're talking about. You know, we don't have to provide that image. You know the image because you've seen it a million times. We've not changed anyone's minds. I don't know. I mean, am I too pessimistic?
3: I don't know. I think we could. I think we could, though. Like, I mean, I think that there, there is some hope out there because, as, as I said, like, and I, I fundamentally disagree uh, with the idea that that people who are using PEG have no experience of it and, and that it's gone fully into our consciousness as a trope. I don't think that's taken hold yet. It is still people, and I hate to say this, uh, People of a certain age uh, who are who are doing it—it's people who did their leaving cert in the you know up to and including the very early nineties who, who are doing this, and eventually at some stage, in the far distant future, they won't be on the radio anymore. They won't be on the television anymore. And they'll have to come up, their successors and the people who follow them, will have to come up with some other bet noir, some other straw man argument for the Irish language. I mean, I long for the day when somebody starts talking about demanding Gaelic rights in 2075, because they'll still, they still want a broadband. Um, they'll barely have running water, like, in 2075. There'll be an afterthought for whatever government comes in, in that time, and somebody's going to say, Oh, Irish, is it? <laughs> well, when I was young, you had to watch Dahi O'Shea and Hector on the television. You know, it's there will be something else, but I won't be peg. And maybe at that's at some stage in that far distant future, people could actually read what she wrote and people could actually enjoy it. Mean, she could put together what together leg
2: said. into the grave and die. God love
3: her, yeah, Jesus Christ, she can that stop, woman suffered enough. She could stop spinning <laughs> in, her, in her grave. But if you do read, what she wrote. Because the one thing about Peg is Peg was a pop culture figure at the time because, you know, her mm. her, her book was, you know, her book was known. Her writings were known while she was alive. Um, I, I know that the version that... W- that I read anyway was published in 1974 long after she she was departed. but she was known and she was famous and you know she was somewhat of a maybe even a divisive figure back then. Um, but she was definitely loved and mourned when she died. And I yeah. think Derek, you were you were mentioning before we came on the air about um, the 10th anniversary and that there was a bit of a sweetness to, to how she was remembered
1: yeah very much and in, in, in the, there was um in the, in the 10th anniversary a yeah, cruel would have been one of the speakers and there was there was a commemoration on the newspapers uh just talking about how you know that how Peg and how well loved she was and there one of the one of the speeches was that to let the people of carry that this storytelling tradition belonged to them, not that this was something that they had to avoid, but it was something that they were encouraged to actually directly engage with. When she was sick in the 1950s and she came up to Dublin in a hospital, there were daily reports in the newspapers on how she was doing, because she, she there were enough people who cared that much about her. Like, yeah, she, she would have been a very popular figure, very well-reviewed, and it did seem, yes, that, that was, it was years later when the, the actual trope started setting in, probably along along with other rejections of... um irishness it's um some people seem to think the um some people found that that maybe um their opinion of the blasket islands was was possibly colored by anti high feeling (laughs) i mean
3: um, i'll take i'll take any excuse to hate charlie high but i mean (laughs) any any excuse at all and yes it is it is a national it's a it's a national disgrace that he bought an island like for christ's sake imagine like a a poly- the leader of the country buying one of the country's islands like it's like yeah. something you'd hear in it's like something you'd see in a poorly written American fiction about an African Republic like it is it's not actually reflective of what an African Republic is like it's like what Yanks think an African Republic is like where the the, the tin pot dictator decides to buy himself a holiday island off the coast <laughs> of, of the country and he did he fucking did it like they, they still own the Shaggin island like the family does I
2: watched. I watched that period of reading in the years like like a soap opera because I'm like what how did you guys let this happen he bought a fucking island he had a 300 pound shirt and he was telling all of you not to spend money what is this like it's it's entertainment beyond you know apart from the fact that it was real life and people had to live through it
1: (laughs) While also having a, a relationship with the country's top gossip columnist, I mean, oh,
3: yeah. TV, sweetie, yeah, yeah, himself and Terry Keane.
1: Who was, was married to a, a ah. judge? Was a Supreme Court or High Court? Was it ter- was Justice Keen Supreme Court?
3: uh possibly. I Justice Keen was that.
2: Supreme Court, I think. Yeah, he yeah. might have been High Court and then Supreme Court.
3: Yeah. Well, <laughs> Mrs. Keen oh was was, ri- was riding the T's. <laughs> yeah, that was she wrote a book about it. She wrote a book about it. Called Sweetie, which is what she, she called him. She said he was lovely, yeah. But anyway, Ew. I love I love Charlie High, but I mean I would love to say that Margaret Thatcher is the reason I hate the English language. It's not exactly true. Yeah. And Charlie High is not the reason people hate Peg. But I mean, look, if we can blame High for it instead of Peg, I I'm I'm good with that. That's a that's a nice yeah, solution. I, I
2: like that. Sure. Blame him. <laughs>
1: Why not? You know, at the time, I think he's because he he may not have been government in government at the time when he actually bought it. And I think the idea was that he'd take better care of it than the government was, and that he, he introduced reintroduced uh, a couple of deer to the island. And, but he was um, the government in the end.
2: What? what is this? Listen,
1: this is this is how he, it's it, there's a long-standing tradition of establishment politicians in Ireland presenting themselves as outsiders. And the next
2: time the next time somebody from that generation says something to me along the lines of, Well, in my day, I'm just gonna point them directly toward that. Like, this is what you allowed in your fucking day, alright? <laughs> what?
3: <laughs> you left and. the Charvet shirt wearing T-shirt. This is a man who smuggled guns for the IRA <laughs> and yet still managed to be he was a gun runner who managed to become the leader of the country and you let him buy a fucking island.
1: We don't know that that he definitely
3: did that. I thought it was fairly allegedly. Then can we, allegedly you can't save the up. dead. It's fine. <laughs> Grand, so he definitely did it. He like he liked to
1: imply that he did while well saying he didn't. So it, it was it was a tricky situation. But what we do know is this isn't a story about Charlie Hawkey. This is a story about Peg, but also about Nana Heron. And what I did want to do was give the last word in this episode to people who don't hate Peg. To women in Ireland who uh, who find her story relatable and want to tell us why they love her and her work so much. So as we say goodbye and thank you both for for helping me in this enlightening discussion. I want to hand over the mic.
10: Peg Sayers. Who else is dead 60 years and trends on Twitter every two weeks? Peg. When shy radio DJs are desperate for some buzz, who can they always invoke? Peg. She's the epitome of living in people's heads rent-free. She somehow has the power to single-handedly kill a language that isn't dead, ruin school children's lives despite not being on the syllabus for a few generations now, but at the same time she's no use to anybody, don't bother reading that, no, shy. You know her full name, but one syllable and everyone knows who you're talking about. And that one syllable has the power to ruin a dinner party, depending on the company you keep. Peg is the original triple threat. Not only a ban, a shan van, she's the shan van vucht. Everything you're not meant to value. She's a woman, she's old, she's poor, she's rural, and she's carrying on like we were never colonized. Now there's a dangerous example to set.
6: So Peg Sayers is my cousin, or rather my first cousin three times removed, but who's counting? The way I relate to her as an Irish woman is she isn't the first, nor will she be the last woman whose contributions to a vital project have been scorned, undervalued, ignored, ridiculed, made fun of. And her legacy has been tarnished by the fact that people have decided she was miserable, she was boring. She's been done so dirty in Irish culture, partly because... Her works were taught in the wrong way to bored teenagers. That is not her fault. That is the fault of the curriculum setters. She truly was an encyclopedia of folklore, of ghost stories, of turns of phrase, of jokes. And she is really only now being appreciated as a well-rounded individual. People are so shocked to hear that she was a funny person. Why are you shocked? Most people are funny when you give them a chance, when you take the time to understand them. She went through so much hardship, the oppression that we live with and more, the pain of separation, of emigration. And she was still smiling, surviving, thriving, overcoming so much hardship. I am so proud of her. And I think we can all relate to the feeling of being misunderstood.
10: Something that baffles me is the fact we'll be doing Fúse Gáire Fhílóir a leis school is one of the hobblies of him. Tá sé lore that hasn't been on the curriculum since the last century. When I was born, Peg wasn't like on the curriculum, but they still have a hatred towards the Irish language because they didn't like one book in school.
0: Is mearál ar fhuinneach suile peacsaír is goil mé cothromúil. Um, as macuig gualga agus as in seil uh, Lemacharjogs, la Mna Loydre Ella, Em um, Issel Naguelga, tá Anumrica, Shkalta, Jultka, Klishta Og and Unamian Verla, Nakul Karamak Dalai Daku, er Shkal Karatfeg, Em um, and Salebi Eki, Ogz of Usad As, Em um, Unlarer Screveshi, Em um, La Kapanus, er Winter Naguelga, Em August Naguel í Muama, Em Ion Tanga, Ogz Tarin Marquail, Ogz Tarin Marvra, um, Shillelagh aglaca, Irish Gaelic. Ira, um, um, Leinir Bosti, Lenar Leinir Gaird, August. Nobody in theka um, a rinne si in a se, and nobody do chuidear agus wen si amach. We she mair van lodge or cruach. August dimirse an chunker jarfuk um, air héal na gual agus agus wen si na gual talk um, to Sanamalair. And I think it's important um, to be able to study Peg. And I think it's important to be able to study Peg in school and to be able to study a lot of people in my age group. And I think it's to be able to study a ca- lot of So I'm going to her.
5: I never got to study Peg in school, but I really, really wanted to, despite the way she was viewed by people within my age group. Uh, I remember reading something about her in a newspaper when I was really, really young about how her best friend had left for America and how she had written about the incredible hardship and the way that they lived on the island. But also she had written about this, this great sense of community and a type of solidarity that they had with each other. Peg Sayers was a phenomenal woman in her own individual right, having gifted hundreds of folklore tales to Ireland. But I've always felt that there was something else going on there. Peg was a woman with a story to tell in an environment, very conservative Ireland, where people were largely not all that fond of listening to what women had to say and simultaneously trying to collectively prove that Ireland was more than a horse and cart misery. And I think a great disservice was done to her in many ways. So as someone with a gra for folklore and a good yarn, I have a deep appreciation of Peg and a love for Peg and the way she speaks about her land and her people with an affection and a fairly brutal honesty. But Peg had a great humour and there's a lot of love and fun as well as a sadness in her writing. And for me, that's always worth listening to.
7: Hi, my name's Sinead, I'm 24, and I recently read Peg and came to the conclusion that I absolutely adore her and you should too, even if you didn't enjoy studying her for The Leaving Cert. So I decided to read Peg because I was sick of the negativity surrounding her story on social media and I wanted to form my own opinion. And the standout takeaway for me was that I find it so sad that, you know, Peg wasn't this like really self involved narcissist wanting to talk about all of the hardships she faced but she had to be persuaded and convinced that her story in life was one worth sharing. Um, and she did this reluctantly in order to contribute to Irish language literature. You know, she said, Yenis, my yeel, Dun um, And she did that and she bore her soul. She wore her heart on her sleeve and she gave us every grueling detail about all the hardships that she faced in her life. Um, and my own personal understanding of life in the islands are way better for it. And I wish I could thank her personally.
8: To be known as a master storyteller, Peg Sayers must have been enthralling. Charismatic. Remarkable. How many such women have we forgotten? Tried to stamp out or rewritten into hags and demons? I read the book Peg when I was 19 under no obligation. It was one of very few books in Irish I'd ever even heard of, having come through English medium education. I went looking for a copy in the library at college Found the Irish section, and within the year, I had changed to an Irish college course in a different university. Fast forward, I manage An Chapa Conor Nagyegi's Irish language bookshop in Dublin. I know more than a few books by now in the Irish language, and I meet the people discovering Peg Sayers, seeking her out or revisiting her. You wouldn't have a copy of Peg, would you? I'm like, go up the lower fag, I got the they expect her to have been eradicated by now. I am grateful to the folklorists who collected from her for their foresight and for understanding her worth, their efforts maintained by the National Folklore Collection and the Blasket Centre. They have made it possible for us to tell and to retell the story of Peg Sayers in Shomish Shkail. in Shomish Arista.
5: For me, Pig Sayers is important because she has one of the most influential voices in a history where real women's voices, and particularly rural women's voices, were rarely represented on their own terms. She survived post famine poverty to become one of the greatest chroniclers of Irish life. And through our own language, she preserved a part of our collective story that would otherwise have been lost forever. So she deserves huge respect for that.
9: Massive mar, real, I guess, mar, my hand, mar, real, manal, eh, carte of a brodul aspect, I guess you know, massive agon or heat, mar, it's like a crown row, ban of the anti, em, you know, screevshi, not near screevshi, octinishi, precious three cage scale, eh, var, she goodina hochdodi, darin got my capa cake or go work a lord in a winter lehivol. Spelerger Ban Loyder, you know, a var or fawad e. M. Um, August V. Schelte Granvra Eki, Kagan Gan Yirimid Urn Tairnish Gelte, Durha Nish Gelte, eh, Gruama vi vi Grin Lefekal in a Schelte, August Tom Widgett, right? Anna could grin all on a Schelte, Lehe des Bishop of Yenin, um, PC Fufuhi, August Darnaway Anna could literally. A hanig as peg, or an scale you have to be ekki. Shanach heidin heit skapa vi you know hugsie, of course hugsie sullusir si lehedi and danging and an countershin a blastaid. Smiini midagony or peg nor smiini miderin um, yeah, eh, a blastaid. And marshin, yeah, massam gurker eirinach manal intach vi anti. Dan vier loyierkerjaart, die we een webbroodje lastie kooien, maar vooral erenige, dat is marine erenige. Wie is ie intocht lor ge lour so August anneke het toch hè? Echt de de literaire heren,
11: auguste de Hey motherfucker, is m'n shirt iloos nakee? August ja. I'm just going to chat about why I love pegs so much, because Honestly, what a legend. Like, that woman, I swear, like, she's, like, as someone that didn't have to learn her for, like, you know, because I'm from the North, I didn't have to do, like, leavings or anything. So I never had to, like, learn her stuff. But then I, like, chose to read it. And, oh, my God. Like, it's so good. She does not deserve the hit she gets, first of all. Like, the fact that, like, she died in 1950-something, and... She's still chatting about today, even if it's in like the awful light that like like some news columns tend to put her in when it's exam season down south and all. Like even if it's in that awful light, the fact that she has enough like reach that even to this day she's been talked about this is a motherfucker podcast where we're discussing peg. Like that's insane. Like there's very few people that whose like legacy has lasted that long and i think that just goes to prove how just amazing that her entire like thing was like how amazingly like, she's a, a, an unbelievable storyteller um and just she doesn't deserve the hate i am starting the Peg um fan club and i would like to invite you all to join um we will have monthly meetings over Zoom and everyone can bake cookies and sit around and we can re-peg to each other so that we can, you know, vibe. Um, <laughs> I mean, that sounds like fun, actually. I was supposed to say I'm joking, but that does sound like fun. Um, Slang of oil, a horror?
1: Thank you very much for listening to our episode today. It was a special one for us. I was putting this one off for a long time because of the enormity of the topic. And I'm so glad uh, that Pattern Garage helped me out for this one.
2: We also want to say a thank you to Kirsten Shield who does our artwork. Uh, she's fantastic. And to Brian at Grooves Ahead for doing all of our wonderful editing and
3: production. And a very special thank you this week to all of our wonderful friends of the podcast who shared their own special memories of Peg earlier. That's really something special and very, very, very moving. And don't forget that you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Derek. So please, please do, because it helps us to create more content, including exclusive Q&As and interview sessions just for our patrons. That's patreon.com forward slash Derek.
1: Until the next time, mind yourselves. Slongfall. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
6: That's fine coach. Loads of pockets in it.